Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of Coach's Corner University, where we do not count episodes because I can't remember which one we're on. I am very happy to be joined today by Ethan Grossman, IFBB Pro and co-owner of uh, Modern Meathead with Ben Giannis, who we had on the podcast a couple of weeks ago. Uh, I am actually very excited for this conversation because very few people know Ethan. He's kind of an enigma. He only got Instagram a couple of weeks ago because Ben made him do it. But incredible backstory uh, going from, you know, almost not being able to walk, winning his IFBB Pro Card, working with Stuart McGill, uh, doing a whole bunch of stuff behind the scenes. So Ethan, welcome to the podcast. And I'm excited for our conversation today. Thanks, Paul. Yeah, looking forward to talking to you as well. I've heard uh, nothing but good things from Ben. So I think we'll have a lot of commonalities here. Yeah, I was, uh, you know, I mentioned in the email that I've known Ben for for quite a few years now, even before he was the polarizing Instagram figure that he is today. <laughs> that's, that, that's what people tell me. I remember actually the first, uh, the first like full interaction I had with him, we disagreed on something on social media and we were both like, hey, do you want to hop on a phone call and have a conversation about this? Yeah, sure, man. I was driving. I think I was driving to Pittsburgh for something and we talked for like two and a half hours and yeah, it was just, just like, he's a great person, great dude. So when he said, when at the end of our podcast, I always ask, you know, if there's one person you want to see on the podcast, but you got to help me get on. He was like, you got to have Ethan on the podcast. So been excited for this and thank you for taking the time. It's Sunday morning. So not many people are up for a podcast on Sunday mornings, but you are. No, I, I specifically asked for it. Yeah. You know? <laughs> um, so IFBB Pro, if I'm not mistaken, you're in your pro card at the Amateur Olympia. That's right. Um, how long had you been training prior to that? Uh, like, how old are you? I am 31. Okay. Uh, I started lifting weights at 12 years old. Okay. And I did my first competition at 19. And um, I've actually done very few competitions overall like i've been bodybuilding i've been living the lifestyle uh, i don't really attend competitions i don't really like enjoy watching competitions like there's so many more like enjoyable sports to be a i mean i say sports loosely right like right there's so many more enjoyable things to be a spectator of like you know a stream in the woods uh rain you know ranging from a, a, a watching leaves fall in the woods to watching people get punched in the face like in a ring all more enjoyable than watching other men in speedos but you know the the process of it i do find very enjoyable so i competed uh, as a teenager there was like one other person in my class in the mr teenage rochester uh took home that title against one other teenager um and then the next time i competed was in 2018 okay. so give you you could do the math on it i said i'm you know i'm 31 like yep. I competed at 19 right but we're talking basically yeah someone else can do the math on that oh that's okay um <laughs> but yeah so it's a long time right like all those years um i don't i don't know do you get like demonetized for talking about drugs on this podcast is that a, a no. word I no but you know basically i trained naturally for 15 years 
Um, I always had the mindset of like, I wanted to be a professional bodybuilder. I understood, you know, what was involved in that. Mm -hmm. My very first like bodybuilding prep coach was a guy named George Farah. That was your first coach? Yeah. Yeah. Because it's always been one of these things like, I'm going to find the best guy and I'm just going to, you know, or, or grow. Like, I'm just going to find whoever like the most knowledgeable person is. And from my perspective at that time, you know, George was working with the top people. He was working with Kai. He was working with Dexter. He was working with Branch. He was, you know, who I also used to see. I don't know if this is public knowledge, but this this will, this will blow up your podcast right here. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Rock, I see The Rock in there all the time. Really? Yeah. So remember the transition from like you know pro wrestling uh, yeah. Dwayne Johnson to like uh, Fast and the Furious Dwayne Johnson? Uh, yeah. 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 That's just awesome. Saying. Just saying. George uh, George Farah as your first coach. That's pretty badass. Yeah. Well, he lived in Rochester. Oh. So- in Rochester, there was a gym called Samson's, and Samson's was owned by a guy named Jim Raquel. Jim Raquel was the head judge at the Olympia at the time. Oh. Bob Ciccarello, yeah. uh, you know, MC, also came out of that gym. Uh, Danny Padilla, yep. uh, a Hall of Fame bodybuilder, also came out of that gym. That's not like where I started training just, you know, for football, like, you know, at the, at the school gym, mowed some lawns built a gym in my basement, painted it up, put, you know, some old equipment down there. That's kind of, you know, where it started. And then there's a world gym down the street. So mm-hmm. I didn't really get to Samson's until much later, but it's always been a process of like, I'm just going to find the guy and I'm just going to basically like show up at his doorstep and just show him that I'm like, you know, motivated enough, um, you know, to find a way where, where we can work together. And that's, pretty much been my approach since day one and it really hasn't failed so yeah george coached me you know but naturally you know for the teenage show i did see george actually like it's you know we hadn't spoken in many years but i saw him after i turned pro which is really cool you know he met you know my wife and my family and all that um so that was really came full circle but yeah yeah so he prepped me for that and then i was you know, uh, natural right up until the age of 27. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we can talk about sort of like, you know, why it was the right time to make that shift and everything. But uh, there's a lot of backstory with that. And um, basically, the premise was like, all right, I just want to see, you know, after now, like, a decade between the two, like, right. do I have the like, the aesthetic, like the shape, uh, you know, the, the, the genetic tools uh, to at least approximate what a smaller version of a pro would look like, you know, so right. I died down in, uh, in 2018. And, you know, I did a few local shows. That was the first time competing since I was a teenager. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I won my class in the first show and then got like progressively worse placings in the later show. Probably just, you know, was too depleted, too fatigued, whatever. Yeah, diet, diet fatigue for sure. Um, you could definitely see from the shape of the physique, you know, just having followed bodybuilding enough years, like I I just wanted to see like, uh, do I have a weird looking physique? Like, is it, you know, really blocky? Like, do you just not have the tools And it? It was still apparent to me, even, you know, I was competing as a light heavyweight. So, you know, I was right at the cap around 198. Um, it was still apparent to me, like, yeah, I think if I put like, 
you know, 50 plus pounds on this physique, like I would look the part, you know, mm -hmm. like, objective enough to kind of make that decision of like, all right, this is a trial run just to see if I'm willing to take, you know, the time and risk, like either way I'm going to train, either way I'm going to do the bodybuilding thing. But like, how much are we going to put into this from like a health cost, financial cost, you know, emotional cost perspective. And after that season, you know, won some, lost some, but it was, you know, pretty apparent to me that like, yeah, you got something like, let's give this a, let's give this a run. And so then, I'm going to stop you there because I think that's a yeah. very important point to just like highlight is, you trained for 15 years before even deciding that you were going to give it a shot. Then you gave it a shot and said, huh, I still have a lot more weight to put on. And we're talking, this is still four years ago. That's so you have these individuals now because of social media who are saying, you know, I'm 17 years old. Do I have the genetics to be a pro? How do you know? You don't know until you've put in the 10, 15 years of work to figure out, like, does my shape, does my physique approximate something like a pro? And you don't know that until you've actually built a physique and you're saying, oh, you know, am I blocky? Do I have the shape? I'm like, I did my first show at 35 years old last year. I'm like, I just look like a refrigerator who got really lean. I'm like, I'm not going to be an IFB bro. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. And you're realistic about it. You know, that that's the thing. Um, so, so, yeah, I mean, like up until, you know, that point, you know, I I'd trained naturally and then I was like, okay, let's imagine you wanted to be like an Olympic sprinter. You, you would still have some idea of like how fast are the fastest people in the world. And you're like, all right, if I run, you know, a 12 second, like hundred meter dash, it's like, I, I'm, I'm not in the running. Like if you're, you know, in high school, like whether you're close enough, right? Like whether you're on that trajectory. So you know, having followed bodybuilding, you know, pretty intensely, like in, in, in my teens, I knew like, all right, at, you know, almost six feet tall, like I'm going to have to be a reasonably lean 300 pounds in the off season, you know, if I'm going to be competitive, cut and dry. You know, if you're maybe someone like a Phil Heath who has got a, you know, certain shape to the muscles, you know, small waist, like you may be able to get away with a little bit less, but I, I knew realistically, like that's, you know, the target. So and also three inches shorter than you, you think it's right. like five, eight or five, nine. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, I mean, someone like that, you know, on stage, like on stage at, you know, even 220. 230 like it's still gonna look like a lot of other guys even at the same height at mm -hmm. maybe like a 250 um so that became the goal it was like all right i think i checked that box i got pretty good feedback on you know how i'm looking mm -hmm. uh, i still to this day it's probably like doesn't come off in, in in this interview but a lot of people ask me if i'm regan grimes in the gym i could like, see a that. Lot of people come up and, and say that um so, you know, people would say that and, you know, just generally like I, I got pretty decent feedback on the show. So it was like, all right, now I have this kind of objective goal. Like, I think if I could have been like a football player or even like, you know, orthopedically could have survived it to be a power lifter, like I probably would have went more of like a performance route mm -hmm. uh, because my um, my mentality 
my uh, environment, like, you know, and then of course, you know, my body just lend itself towards being a bodybuilder. It's just kind of what I do naturally, just kind of who I am. It's not like a thing that that's forced. Um, but I do like the idea of having like objective measures where you can be yeah. like, you know, I bench press this much, I run this fast, and then no one can take that away from you. So I set a goal. I said, all right, I, I know I want to be, you know, over 300 pounds and not be fat. Like, how can I prove that I did that? Um, you know, the closest thing to that's probably going to be like getting a DEXA scan. So for like a few years, I had four years back to back of DEXA scans, you know, from 215 pounds at like, I don't know, it was probably like 18% by some, you know, some higher number that probably sounds higher to most people. But when you do a DEXA, yeah. not, not crazy. And I, so I competed in 2018 and my goal was over three years to get to 300 pounds under 15% body fat on a DEXA. And in the off season there, I was maybe 235, 240. And uh, literally over two years, maybe a little bit less, I went from like 230, 240 in the off season to uh, I had the, you know, the piece of paper that's like the DEXA's 300 pounds and I was 11% body fat Jesus. so that would that happened so i actually put on from the first dexa that i did over three years or so i put on a hundred pounds of lean body mass that's like, insanity on paper and that i like you know win lose or draw like i can hold up that piece of paper and be like yeah there's definitely some fluid retention right like there's some things that probably um sort of make that number a little bit, you know, blown up if you're like, you know, natural to, to enhance, but it's still a hundred pounds. Like, and, and, you, and you see the pictures too. It's like, no one can really take that away from you. Like, yeah, there's some error, but it's a hundred fucking pounds. So that was cool just to be able to like hold up that piece of paper and be like, all right, whether I'm a good bodybuilder or not, like I did this thing that like objectively happened. And I, and I think there was something nice to just being able to say like, I made this change. So whether I'm like, you know, running a business now or, you know, building a body, like I just love creating things. And that's what's so awesome about bodybuilding. And I think, you know, when we talk about, you know, like natural versus enhanced, why do people make that switch? I just think it's way more fun. Not because I'm like more muscular. Like I really don't care how I look. Like it's a weird thing to say as a bodybuilder. Like I never went up to a magazine, you know, when I was a teenager, it was, you know, Ronnie Coleman was Mr. Olympia and then Jay Cutler. I never went up to like a magazine was like, I think like that is, um, you know, a beautiful body or like, I think that's going to get me laid or like, you know, not it was simply like watching the videos of those guys and being like, oh, they, this is in their own hands to create, like they're doing this. And that was something that I think, you know, at that age, especially just the ability to sort of like control my circumstances, mm. you know, was, was very just potent for me at the time. And it, and it just really, really resonated with me. Not not that I knew that, but kind of like looking back on it, I think just that ability uh, to be able to have control of, you know, what happened to me was, was very important. Absolutely. Uh, like, look, just even look at that, like that 
hundred pound transformation is based purely on effort of inputs. Yeah. That is simply, that is the proof in on paper that the effort of these inputs led to this result. And for anyone, regardless of industry or endeavor, that is something that is extremely powerful. And you can draw a lot of strength from that, as you said, to draw parallels into other aspects of your life. Like that to me is really, really cool. You know, so to your point before, like I had been training for 15 years natural. I graduated high school, probably 215 pounds or so, you know, very strong. Um, you know, I've been training since I was 12 and, you know, training hard and training under good people and, and, and you know, learning, uh, you know, under good people. Um, and then, you know, when I did make that switch to enhance, maybe I was 230, you know, or so like at, at my peak. Um, but I had already had maybe, you know, five to seven years of like, you know, reasonably static progress. When you look back on it, mm -hmm. you know, you could see some incremental differences, but I still really enjoyed it. Just trying to find ways to get better. Yeah. So that's kind of what led to all the education and just literally took me around the country, you know, many times just seeking out different people and learning from disciplines that were very, very uh, like lateral to bodybuilding. Like I got yeah. far, far away from bodybuilding. I, you know, I coached athletes. I worked with a lot of physical therapists over the years. Um, and although it didn't directly contribute to me, like building muscle at the time, I think the perspective uh, that it gave me brought me to a very different place than I think most people sort of just staying in the bodybuilding realm did. Had I made that transition earlier, like had I been uh, more muscular and more competitive earlier, I may not have, you know, put the time towards those other areas of study and may have, you know, just not been intrigued to do so. Um, so it's never really been about like, yeah, the outcome is being a better bodybuilder, but really the goal is just having a greater quality of life and just exploring things that I'm passionate about. So like I mentioned with the enhanced side of things, it's like, all right, once you've exhausted so many different, you know, resources, things are relatively static, but the process that you enjoy is making progress and seeing inputs create results that's all it was. And then I started talking, you know, like to really smart people in that field. And I realized like, wow, there's so many parallels in this discipline to every other discipline. It's like you get in once you, you know, have a decent amount of knowledge in one area, and then you start speaking to an expert in another area, you realize like, wow, even though I know nothing about this other area, there's so much crossover, like the key concepts, like just understanding how to learn, understanding the basic premise of a lot of these things. There's a ton of overlaps here. It's like, oh, I don't understand drugs, but I understand nutrition or I understand training. It's like, yeah, but they all kind of follow the same principles. Mm -hmm. And once I realized how much overlap was there, it just became a lot of fun, again, to be able to put an input in and get a response out. But that was never with the mindset of like, oh, it's just because I want to look like this guy or just because I want to be bigger. It was just naturally that process of like, oh, here's another thing that I can put an input in and get a result out of. And, and again, it didn't matter if it was 
bodybuilding, football, powerlifting, it didn't matter, you know, if it was training, rehab, nutrition, or drugs, like it's just been fun to, you know, find new inputs, experiment with them and actually see, you know, the results of that. One of the most common threads that I see amongst high performers, whether I've been like exposed to them through my own education or even interacting with them in different fields, like my background, personally, I was in collegiate athletics in the U.S. for about four years. Then moved back home, was in collegiate athletics. Uh, I competed at a very high level in powerlifting. And even my own journey, I look at, okay, in powerlifting, it's very much objective outputs. It's, does the weight on the bar increase? So I looked at all the different people that I was able to learn from and the toolbox of knowledge that I was able to accrue has led me to a point where you know, at one time I squatted the sixth heaviest squat of all time in my weight class. And I wouldn't have been able to do that if I didn't sit back and say, where are my weaknesses? What don't I know? What different inputs can I gather to bring forward? And, it, and it's a common thread amongst everyone that I've spoken to is they look at what they have at their disposal and they say, what am I missing? And they're not afraid to go out into these we'll call them fringe aspects, right? As a, as a bodybuilder pursuing professional bodybuilding, you wouldn't necessarily intuit that you would want to go see a physical therapist. You wouldn't necessarily intuit that you'd want to go see um, even some, someone who specializes in body work or breathing, but all of these things are different inputs that you can gather and add to your toolbox. And, you know, I love that you credit that curiosity within the process to, to your success. I think that's very, very cool. Yeah. It's funny that you mentioned, you know, like breathing, for example, right? Like I have a coach uh, named Seth Oberst and Seth, uh, do you know Seth by, by chance? Uh, I heard the name Oberst and I'm assuming he's related in some way to Robert, but anyway. Okay. I just saw, I just saw a change in your expression. I was like, Oh, maybe he knows it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but Seth, um, is a he's a DPT, he's a physical yeah. therapist by trade, but he specializes in self-regulation, which is basically uh, a, 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 an umbrella term for like um, helping you manage internally, um, you know, stresses basically. Okay. Um, so, examples of where this might show up in bodybuilding is, you know, I'm two eighty five. Right now, like I said, I've been over 300 pounds. I'm uh, in an off season kind of escalating back up there now. Most guys at that body weight will use a CPAP device, you know, which, you know, I'm not opposed to like at all. I think it, you know, can be super valuable. Um, We have done work specifically, you know, to improve uh, my breathing, like during sleep, uh, my ability to like keep my airway open. Uh, we've, you know, done a lot of work to just manage like, uh, autonomic function during the day, as far as just like, uh, how much tension, you know, how much stress, like, you know, am I holding just, you know, sort of subconsciously. And, you know, that's an area again, that just seems very, you know, like lateral to, uh, you know, to what we do. You'll hear bodybuilders saying like, oh, you know, managing stress is everything. And, You'll hear a lot of coaches say like a lot of the best athletes can just like, you know, chill out or relax really easily, like turn it on, turn it off. Um, but, you know, having someone like that, or at least again, just exploring the concepts, which, you know, underlie that, right? Like 
what underlies how good your sleep is. It's not like you're just like your melatonin or, you know, having a dark room, you know, anyone who's woken up at three in the morning with like, you know, racing thoughts can, can attribute, uh, you know, can, can, can relate to the fact that like your, you know, your psychology, your emotions have a lot to do with all of that. Um, so, you know, that's a tangent, but just to say like, that is an example of someone you know, who I've worked with for many years now, who you might not think of as like a traditional, you know, coach and all of this. And he works with zero other, you know, bodybuilders, which I think sometimes can be a weakness. Like I've definitely gone down routes where it's like, all right, I've gotten so far away from bodybuilding that like, if you don't have a lot of context for like what, um, what might be different, in someone like me versus the people that they're working with regularly, you can kind of miss the forest for the trees. That's easy to do where it's like you get overconfident that like, yeah, nobody else, you know, knows this stuff. And I'm, you know, finding these little secrets or whatever. Most of the time it is a game of the forest and it is understanding the big picture of like, you know, massive shifts in body weight, you know, make a big difference. They impact everything. Mm -hmm. Um, so again, coming back to like, yes, I've, I've learned a lot outside of bodybuilding, some stuff that's very specific that I don't use at all anymore, but in, you know, thousands of hours of spending time in areas that are, are very, very lateral to this. I think the big picture of just understanding kind of like stress physiology and biology at large gives you some context to understand like. Ooh, this is a time where just in general, I need to, to, to flatten things out. Like I need to just kind of like maintain here and let things kind of like, you know, come back to homeostasis, so to speak. There's some broad concepts like that, where it's like, you can't just drug your way out of this. You can't just like, you know, eat your way under eat your way. And, um, I think just an appreciation for that is really important, which is, you know, a good segue uh, you know, into the whole Stuart McGill thing, which like, I think Stu really brought me back to some fundamental concepts that, you know, I understood well, but didn't have as much appreciation for in terms of how they fit into my programming, where, you know, I started college, like, you know, for exercise science in 2009. Uh, I had an incredible professor, uh, Dr. Pat Davidson, and, you know, he introduced me to uh, physical therapists like Shirley Sarman, Vladimir Yanda, you know, and at the time, Stuart McGill was still teaching. He was doing his rounds at places like Perform Better. You know, I was going to all those type of seminars, you know, anything from the Perform Betters to, you know, I would go at, at the time, the whole like Vladimir Yanda uh, Prague School of Thought became DNS, Dynamic Neuromuscular Stabilization. You know, I would go to those type of seminars. And, and again, I would always make a point to actually find the people and just like shadow them or, or oftentimes get treated by them. Um, so in, the, in this case, there was actually like a DNS Institute uh, in New York, you know, so I would go to them, get treated by them. Um, but anyway, that was just to say that, like, I had some background, you know, on his teachings, like. And I think I just got the impression that like, well, Stu's stuff, you know, is from, you know, a couple decades ago and like, it's been incorporated 
into everything we're doing now. Like the people, you know, at the forefront now, they read Stu's stuff and like now we're just building off of that. And it just gotten better from there. And it wasn't true. <laughs> it just wasn't. <laughs> so I was I was gonna kind of t- to take it from there because the way in which you express your learning is very much the same way that I embody my own is that I've always done better when I've either learned directly from the person or been coached by them. So when I was coming up, I was pure for powerlifting. I was purely self-coached and I was like, okay, I can get more out of this. My first coach was Chad Wesley Smith, who, um, you know, if you're familiar with Chad. Okay. So at the time, Chad was pushing towards an all-time world record. And I was like, I can learn something from this guy. And I did. Um, unfortunately, I ended up getting injured, having a surgery, uh, chatted with Brian Carroll, whom reintroduced me to Stuart uh, McGill after you know his work with Stuart McGill. I had the pleasure of editing their book together and you know, meeting Stu, conversating with him. And it quickly made me realize, like, okay. If you want to learn about these principles, the best way to way to get about it is to go directly to the source. Even someone like Louis Simmons. Louis Simmons has put out so much educational content and he has done so much work with the highest level powerlifters. But Louis has read the same books as every other pe- every other person. He's just intuited from it different information and packaged it in a new way. So it's like, okay, well, I'm just going to read the same books Louis read. Or, you know, Brian learned from Stu. I'm going to go ask Stu, listen to Stu, read Stu. And now my, you know, the coach that I have now, Danny LaMartina, I love what she does in terms of treating the training itself as a rehabilitation strategy. So I wanted to learn how to do that. So now Danny's coaching me. And I feel as though that's becoming further and further away from the norm because people believe that the access they have to information on the internet and social media replaces that person's actual knowledge. You cannot distill decades of knowledge into 90 second clips. It's impossible. Mm -hmm. And if you really want to gain the best insights possible from that person, go learn from them, go hear them speak, go get coached by them. Go work for them for free, shadow them, intern for them. Like that, like, it seems like that was almost transformative for you in your journey. Yeah. It's funny that just reminded me of a story uh, with, with Louie. So, you know, one of the reasons I chose Springfield college is, you know, it it just got a rich history as far as strength conditioning goes. Hmm. A lot of the strength coaches, uh, you know, in the U S have come, from Springfield College. And, and I love that it was like an applied uh, exercise science program. You know, I, I did a focus on strength conditioning and, and the applied was just simply like we spent time in the weight room. Um, Pat and I um, and um, a, another guy who's actually become, you know, pretty famous now, um, his, um, I guess, moniker, his, his like, his, his tag is like world's strongest gay. I don't know if you've yeah, heard yeah. of Rob. Yeah. Yeah. So Rob, Pat and I, well, Rob and I had like started separate teams, like at different times at Springfield College. Like I had started a a bodybuilding team. He had like a powerlifting team. And then we all came together. Pat became the head coach and we had a strong man 
uh, we, we had, we called it team iron sports. So okay. bodybuilding, strongman, powerlifting, you know, Pat was the coach. So we go to school with him during the day and then we'd all train together at night. Nice. And, you know, we had spot like bodybuilding.com sponsored us, a bunch of other people. And, you know, we take the van to like the Arnold classic and uh, it was just freaking awesome. That's awesome. Like, it's, you know, kind of a tangent, but it's just like, I learned somewhat early on, like trying to do this as a solo mission was just, uh, you know, very depleting, very emotionally, you know, exhausting to kind of be on like that, you know, Dorian Yates, just like tunnel vision, you know, you know, very limited community. It was like, oh, if this thing's going to be, you know, a bit more sustainable and a bit more holistic as far as how it fits into the quality, you know, of my life, let's try to make this, uh, you know, more of a community, you know, type of event. And again, we both came from, from a sports background. So that's what I was used to. You know, we literally would like get together before training and like have the same type of, you know, pump up things that you do before like a football game. Yeah. Yeah. yeah you know, we traveled before that. It was just like me and one other friend and, and we traveled around the country together. Like we went to Gold's Gym Venice, like when we were in college, uh, actually during uh, my, my prep. Um, and we stayed, you know, down the street, like on the beach. Um, again, just kind of tying into the whole mindset of like a, a holistic lifestyle that kind of feeds into the bodybuilding thing. I, I had started a landscaping company, like when I was in high school. So even when I was in college, like some of my friends were still, you know, working for that back home. So I always had, like, I didn't, you know, grow up with much money or anything, but I always had money to put into bodybuilding. And I always, you know, prioritized having free time and those were like the two big things and one sort of begets the other and um you know with that i was able to do things like you know take trips you know out to venice stay there for a week and i would just walk in to the gym you know literally walk up to like charles glass and be like you know will you will you train us and i just found like everyone that i did did that with like i trained with hitatata yamakishi uh when i was there couple of their pros i don't think anyone charged us you know we were like probably 18 uh you know i was 18 at the time um and just that passion you know everyone was well and they just like you know take us out to eat afterwards and that happened so many times so um it's funny i think i may have started this like just coming full circle mentioning louis simmons and then just like totally dropped that part <laughs> yeah so I'm just, I'm bringing it full circle here. Um, when, again, still in college here, uh, the team, I started talking about applied exercise science. So we did internships as part of the like applied exercise science program. Okay. And um, I did some internships at like a top physical therapy clinic where we did a lot with um, like the SFMA, you know, which came off of the FMS sort of like Greg Cook stuff. Uh, we were doing stuff again with DNS and PRI at the time. A lot of people won't know those acronyms, but they're just thing, they're physical therapy uh, modalities essentially. And, you know, I was still in that sector of strength conditioning. And it's like, there were a few big places that you might go to, um, <clears throat> Cressy's, uh, Boyle's, um, IFAST, uh, which, you know, Bill Hartman, Mike Robertson. So those are all the things that like, you know, my friends and I were going to, and I've, you know, been to all those places, uh, you know, shadowed some of those guys. Um, so f- 
for me, again, just kind of like going to, knowing that I was into the bodybuilding strength training thing, it was kind of two polar different directions. Either I was going to go out to California and um, intern athletes performance, which is now called yep. Exos. Or um, I actually hit up Louis Simmons as well. And I kept the uh, the voicemail on my phone for some time just because it was so funny and his, his voice is so funny like on the phone. But again, it was just one of those situations where I just called the gym, you know, and you just like leave a message for Louis. And I told him what I wanted to do. And he called me back and he left a message, you know, on the phone. And, and ultimately, like, I decided to go, you know, it's athlete's performance. Um, but a lot of times you just fucking call someone, you know, like, or you're just like the same thing with Stu. The way Stu came about is I'd gotten to a point where basically I couldn't even bend over to change the pin on selectorized equipment. So like when Ben and I were training together, he would literally change my weights. He would literally move the pin for me. Um, you know, like there were times, I remember, you know, like Pat, you know, like tying my shoes for me to like get into, you know, a leg press and stuff like that. You know, it's just like you have that mentality of just, you know, kind of whatever it takes, you know. Yeah. The number of times that like my wife had to dress me, uh, you know, it's like, it's hard to think about. Um, but anyway, Ben and I would take like, uh, you know, our pre-workout walk around the block, which, you know, is still a thing for me to this day because of Stu, mm -hmm. uh, different capacity. Um, and he said to me, you know, cause again, we were kind of at this, this impasse. He said to me, who's the first person you think of when it comes to back pain? Uh, you know, and I said, Stu, and, you know, he knew me well enough at the time to know that like that was it that was the only thing he needed to say and, the, and that like i was just going to work with Stu. it was like doesn't matter if he's retired doesn't matter where he is in the world right now i'm going to find someone that knows him and we're going to find some way to do this and it was a very certain feeling like when he asked me that and i said Stu, it was just like okay that's what we're going to do yeah you know and it turned out you know Stu was retired and all that but it was like okay now let's think like who do i know that might know him and it was basically like he had done a seminar for someone that I knew and that guy knew his son. And it was just like one person, you know, reached out to the next person and um, uh, less than, I don't know, definitely less than a year later, probably like, yeah, certain, maybe six months later, like I was in Stu's, you know, backyard and he was grilling up burgers and, you know, we we're shooting the shit. So like things, you know, uh, escalated quickly. Um, and it's, you know, it's been a great relationship. Knowing him, he was probably grilling up burgers and had like a laser focus on you watching every single movement you made. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think you know, at that point we had already done the assessment. I was already like, you know, you know, out of pain and everything. And it was just like, um, let's just get together, you know, and just like shoot the ship. And um, yeah, he's been just such a tremendous resource. And I think just like following up on, you know, some of the things he's brought you know, to my training, um, again, it kind of just circles back to just like the basic, you know, premise premises of like biology stuff I learned back in school that I just didn't respect as well as I could have. And just experiencing it a lot of times is the best teacher. And I think more than anything, like just some passive rest and just allowing enough time for, you know, an adaptation cycle to take place 
is is the most like fundamental thing that I needed to appreciate. And in in practice, what that meant is like, um, you know, a little bit more time like in between sessions. So it was lowering, you know, training frequency for me. Like, of course, you know, I do the big three, you know, every day before training. I take my my walks. Um, but I think just like an appreciation um, for the specificity of what I do. Whereas like, I think as a premise, most of the other physical, really all of the other physical therapy that I had done before that, all the other rehab I had done before that um, was focused on how do I balance like the bad shit I'm doing to myself. It's like, you know, I think we sort of see it, you know, loosely as like, oh, you're getting, you know, tighter and you're getting, you know, you're losing this, that, and the other thing. And like, how do we get that stuff back? Like, how do you not go too far down this end, you know, of the spectrum? And let's just try to maintain enough of these qualities. So like the word variability was really a buzzword, like maybe 10 years or so ago. Um, Even more frequently, even more. Yeah, for sure. It's like, I don't definitely don't know right now what you know the the, the buzzwords are but yeah, like, i'll tell you i'll keep you up to date <laughs> so yeah it, it, but we really went in the opposite direction which was just like what are the needs you know of your you know quote-unquote sport here and like how do we just make you more resilient resilient to that and how do we allow enough time for those adaptations to take place and rather than and you know, also just learning more specifically about how to design um, and set up exercises, which I've learned a lot from Tom Purvis as well. And he's kind of had, you know, his descendants like, you know, Cassone from N1 and Ben. And the combination of the two of just like improving what I'm already doing rather than looking outside of it, it, it's the old adage of like, you know, fixing the leak in the ceiling rather than like cleaning up the floor. I think so often, especially as like motivated people, we're just like, what else, what more do I need to do? Mm-hmm. So the basic premise of like, you need to do something extra versus you need to do what you're doing now better, or even more importantly, what are you doing now that's hurting you? Like the reason why you have an issue is because you're doing something wrong, usually not because you're lacking something. And, and I think that basic premise, you know, was really, really important to me. It's like, no, you don't need to go out and find more things, you know, and more tools right now. You need to do, you know, less of these things or you need to modify these things. And it didn't explicitly just come out of Stu being like, oh, you know, ditch these exercises, do these. Like so many instances, he did not tell me what to do. It was just many conversations with him and reading through his stuff and listening to every interview I've ever found with him and just more and more the mentality of like, you know, not that we need to add these exercises and you need to get this range of motion back and you lack this thing or the other thing. It's just like, um, you know, these are the demands of your sport. Um, this is the time, you know, that it's going to take to recover and you can kind of, you can test that hypothesis. It's not just like something you look up in a textbook and being able to like clear the slate enough where you could sense a difference. You know, it was the first time I had taken months off of training altogether. And then when I reintroduced stuff, I reintroduced it 
slowly. I titrated things up in a manner where I could actually have some, uh, some clarity in the signal. You know, I could sort through the noise and I could see, you know, okay, if I do a little bit too much of this or this particular activity, I could actually sense for the first time, you know, what, uh, what was problematic. And during that same time, um, you know, I was also working with, you know, the person for self-regulation that I mentioned before, Seth, and that also helped me just as far as interoceptive or like internal feedback mm-hmm. of being able to sense like, you know, what sort of things were problematic, uh, what sort of things, you know, were sort of setting off a threat response. And all of that together just allowed me to have a better, you know, internal sense of like what was going on and a better sort of like um, in broader sense of how to program with the mindset of like not finding the edge, not looking for the edge, but actually like trying to stay pretty clear of it and just appreciating like, you know, small incremental progress. So again, I think as someone who's like, you know, hyper-motivated, a lot of times we don't know that we're working hard enough unless we have certain cues to tell us that. And I think those cues oftentimes are actually when we've gone too far. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I think I would just set up a paradigm where it was like, if I didn't find the edge, then I had no other way to sense, you know, where I was. So it was constantly just finding the edge. And and, then it could be in anything. It could be the edge in training volume. It could be the edge in load. It could be the edge in food volume. But every single training block was designed in such a way to get to a point, you know, to find the edge at the end of that. And I don't think that makes you more resilient. I think in many ways it actually decreases your resiliency. And, you know, Stu used the, the example he's speaking very specifically you know to a back injury but he'll use this the example of like um you know stubbing your toe and then you know just constantly banging on it or, or you know just creating instead of like allowing a um you know an injury to callus uh just constantly picking the scab and mm-hmm. that idea of picking the scab i think was just you know chronically what i was doing is just living at the edge of what I could tolerate versus, you know, having an understanding of where that edge was and staying pretty clear of it uh, and, and just appreciating, you know, small incremental gains. There's a lot, a lot to be drawn from that. The first thing that came to mind when you were speaking was we started our conversation discussing the wide breadth of knowledge and, and learning that you went through and then coming to a point where you're like, I just need to do less of everything and figure out what works and only do that. But you maintain this, this open mind to other things, right? So there's a balance to be struck there. The other is you have two paradigms in training almost where, you know, there's that person who finds the edge and backs off or that person who rides the edge as long as possible. And the easiest example of that's like, you know, a a Russian weightlifting program where it's designed for people to fail. And the only people that succeed are, it's like a uh, survival of the fittest mentality. And there are people who reach high, high, high levels of success with that mentality just because they are so gifted at what they do. But there are those of us who need to adopt more of a, like, you know, say your red line is at 7,000 RPM. I'm a five to six guy. I do really well at five to six and I ride it as long as I can. 
And the reason for that in my mind is it provides a buffer for life. Because if my training is always at a five to six, but then my life becomes a seven or an eight, well, then I have enough buffer that my global allostatic load is going to allow me to still recover from training and have fun with it. Um, but that only came by fucking myself up. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's the ironic thing. It's like, you know, health is wasted on the young sort of, but, um, <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's exactly right. I mean, there is the, the mentality, you know, it's always a double-edged sword, right? It's like to be the person that's going to push hard enough to be at, um, you know, the upper ends of performance, uh, you're probably also going to find the edge of fatigue, you know, and, and the edge of tolerance. So you sort of need that mentality to get there, but that mentality is also the thing that's very destructive, you know, and that's like, that's where the coaching comes in, right? That's where people like you, you know, work with younger athletes and can sort of, you know, guide them. Um, and that's, you know, that's uh that's the gift right it says as brian says like the gift of injury is is uh is perspective absolutely and i couldn't agree more with that and i think that that's a, a perfect segue because a lot of what i try to do on, on this podcast especially is you know you are a coach you're a trainer you're a business owner as well as a high level athlete I want to like just chat first about like how do you balance the two things? We chatted a little bit before we started about the way you've organized your business and something that struck me as really unique is you don't do any remote work. You commute in you commute into the city, I believe you said about an hour each way, a couple times a week to do your to do your job. Uh and modern meathead is like the first remote type of work that you've done. So how can you give people a rundown of like how you organize your training business? Yeah, I mean, it doesn't really start for me there. It kind of starts more broadly, okay. which is like designing your life, you know, which has simply just been like, you know, as a teenager, you know, again, being, you know, one of those hyper-motivated type people for, um, <clears throat> you know, I don't know if you watch like the Arnold documentary on, on Netflix or listen to basically every interview with, any bodybuilder but there's usually some type of pain point that just like drives you uh to you know really hyper focus on like a future vision and then we kind of look back on it later and we're like yeah there were some good things and some bad things about that but like you know i had a very clear vision you know at like a young age um of like what i wanted my life to look like you know much like finding the coaches and, you know, just deciding like, this is the way it's going to be. I think, you know, some of us sort of learn those skills at a young age where it's just like, I'm going to decide to do this. Um, for me, it wasn't really ever about like being popular or, you know, even being like rich. Um, I think probably a big influence was like when I was in high school, uh, my dad passed away, he had committed suicide. And I think that really like, shaped my perspective on like what you know was important again sort of like subconsciously but my motivation was more just like how do I shape a great life and that certainly like having enough money you know is important and sometimes in the process of doing that you know people learn who you are 
but it was never a motivation of just like, you know, I want to be a famous bodybuilder or I want to be, you know, rich CEO or whatever it was. It was just like, I just want to have the life that I imagined. And I kind of just always like would envision what that would be like, you know, and it just kind of got recreated throughout the years. It was like college was awesome because I had this like team of amazing guys where, you know, they're all not only really driven to, to train and compete, but also to learn. And we just like laughed a ton together. You know, we all ate together, like, you know, as a community trained together, learned together. And like, man, it's like, how does it get any better than that? Like, there's no amount of money you could give me. That's like better than that setup. And, and I just try to recreate that. Like, you know, everywhere I went basically. And, you know, now, um, my primary clientele, I would say my average person is like a guy in their like, you know, 50s, 60s, you know, who's done very well for themselves, usually like the owner of a company, um, you know, a number of people that like you would know by name and like that, um, that type of person ironically just wants to do more of what we do. Oftentimes it's just like, they want to train more. They want to like, you know, again, eat with friends, laugh with friends. And it's like, I, you know, work with some of the wealthiest people, you know, in the world and they want the same things that we do, you know, and they're like excited to come work out. And during the pandemic, like I trained some of these guys, you know, in the park, uh, you know, with, you know, a shopping cart full of weights and, you know, homeless people right next to them, you know, literally like sharing the weights with us um and they don't care you know because they're just like fundamental things that you know we all love doing like we're outside in the sun you know working out um you know sweating together you know just like you know um working hard and, and um i think again like some of that is achieved by having enough wealth but there's certainly you know a cutoff as well for sure so it's just been like how do i design a life that just encompasses those things, you know, to the greatest degree. So the reason I chose to move to New York city, I was going to school again in Springfield, Massachusetts. Um, you know, and there were a number of other routes I could have gone from there ranging from, you know, working like with a, a sports team to work in a physical therapy clinic, like that sort of stuff. But New York screamed opportunity for me because on a personal training level, um, there's a few things like one, the compensation per hour is so much higher than, you know, just about anywhere else in the country. You know, I'm sure there's some spots in LA and, you know, a couple other spots in the country, but mainly New York also because of the density, right? Like, even if you go to LA, you're not walking place to place. Right. Um, so New York, probably more than anywhere, you're getting a higher compensation for your time. And even though the, the, the people say cost of living is higher, like, yeah, even if your apartment, let's say is, you know, quadruple the price um that's only a small part of your expenses you know it's only part of your expenses so if you're making you know quadruple the price per hour on personal training it still works out as a largely not positive like you know if you're in some like podunk town making 30 bucks you know an hour uh and you pay you know maybe 500 bucks a month in rent you know, versus if you're in New York City, you know, you're making 200 bucks an hour or whatever it is, and maybe you're paying, you know, 4,000 in rent. At the end of the year, yeah, you pay 48,000 in rent, 
versus, you know, we'll call it, you know, 5,000, 10,000, you know, in rent. But the amount you make overwhelms that by so much that the goal was always just to have more free time. And then also, again, uh, the right, um, you know, community. So also in training these type of people, like I've made tremendous connections, tremendous relationships, like, and it's not like the relationships are around like, well, how do I leverage this person, you know, to meet this other person? It's more just like people from multiple disciplines that, you know, are able to teach me through their life experience and their knowledge, like things that just otherwise wouldn't have been exposed to. Like you just, and, and, and good and bad, like maybe more bad than good. You know, in the sure. sense, that, like you get to see what not to do and you realize like when you spend every day with people that you thought, you know, maybe you wanted to be, you get to see or that other people aspire to be, you get to see what's the reality of that lifestyle. Like, what are you really pushing towards? And when you see the end of it, maybe that's not who you want to be. And maybe they just want to do what you're doing. And it's kind of ironic, right? Like a lot of the finance guys just end up like, you know, the goal is like, let's just make enough money so I can basically live like these personal trainers are living. Yeah. So every year it's just been actually less and less work. So it was always, how can I have the most free time so I can reinvest that time in other endeavors, be it bodybuilding, be it education. And it's like, and it was the same advice I gave Ben. You know, when he first came, he, you know, recounted this to me the other day. He said, you know, everyone basically told me how to, you know, build up my personal training business bigger and just get, you know, get as many clients as I could. And this is how you do it. And the advice, you know, I gave him was train the least amount of people you possibly can and spend the most amount of time investing in yourself. And what will happen is you'll become more and more valuable versus just fixing yourself in the same place. And also I could give that advice to Ben because it was very clear that he had something special. You know, that advice I don't think applies to everyone. Like not just like we were talking about with bodybuilding in terms of like having the genetic structure, you know, there are things, you know, in bodybuilding, it seems to be very focused on like um, the, the sort of morphological shape of your physique. But like genetics are also, you know, uh, your intelligence. Genetics are also like your, um, you know, even emotional traits, like in a lot of ways. So there's so many other things that encompass genetics. And for him, whatever environmental and genetic influences led him to be the person he is, it was very clear to me early on, like this person could reinvest their time and do something special with it. So I gave him the same advice, you know, that I gave to myself, which was do the least amount of training you possibly can charge the most amount you can for it and just continually reinvest and reinvest and build yourself, you know, as a person. So I doubt, you know, I did the most sessions as a personal trainer, like my first two years. And then every year I've just worked less and less hours. And now the way that I do bodybuilding is like, I just barely work. Like I do maybe like, three hours on average a day at the most. But the funny thing is I kind of need those three hours. I realize, like I look at Ben's lifestyle and he and I talked a lot about this before he transitioned. And it was like, it's actually much harder for me on like a Sunday, you know, if I'm not working, you know, to get all my meals in, you know, to sort of like have my day structured in a way that works well for bodybuilding. 
So it's all, you know, pretty purposeful. Like the, you know, 40 minutes on the train on the way in was purposeful because, you know, sitting on this like spacious train going along the Hudson river and I can actually set aside time, you know, to read every day. So it's like, this is time, you know, for reading. And, um, you know, it's not like being at home where you have a lot of other things maybe that you could be doing. And then when I get into the city, it's like the people that I'm working with, most of them I've worked with for years. We're very good friends. Like the gym is full of my friends, you know, it's like family to me. Really cool. Yeah. Vibe at that gym. Yeah, it's, it's all equipment I've picked out and we're just, we're buying six new pieces now. So it's like, I have all the benefits of that gym um, that would come with owning it with none of, you know, the responsibility of it. So it's like, nice. let's pick out all the equipment. These are all like, you know, good friends of mine. My clients are all good friends of mine. And I show up, I get, you know, 12,000 steps a day, like just between, you know, commuting, taking, you know, the three walks that, you know, Stu recommends, two of them, you know, are in the woods behind the house, you know, with the dog. Um, if I didn't have that, like, even if I could make the same amount of money, but I didn't have those few sessions and I didn't go into the city and see my friends and, you know, learn stuff from my clients. And then again, those lead to other connections, but more importantly, it's just like staying physical, staying engaged, like, you know, having like human beings that you see every day. That's actually like really essential for my bodybuilding, I don't think I could do it as well uh, if I worked virtually, even though I know that's very appealing. Well, it's something like, there's a few things that I want to tease out from that, but the, the, the that piece is, as I do 99% of my work online, I will always maintain three to five hours of personal training per week, simply because of that interpersonal communication, the ability to have eyes on someone physically, the ability to uh, actually interact and form a relationship with somebody to me is invaluable. Even if for me, I actually lose money per hour doing that, the importance of that far exceeds. And then when it comes to the routine aspect, I'm a, if anyone who's, I'm probably the most type A person you'll ever meet. Every hour of my day is blocked out because for me, routine is everything. So I actually found in prep, when I did my first show, I was the most productive I've been in so long because I had those non-negotiable tasks to do every day. Um, and I've carried that forward since. Um, I mean, losing a few hours of sleep because I was so hungry helped with my productivity for sure. But um, overall, I mean, that routine aspect is something that I try to preach to everyone that I work with. But in terms of you started, you didn't start at I'm going to run this business and then I'm going to live my life. You started as I want to have this sort of life. How do I architecture my business around the life that I want to live? And you essentially reverse engineered it from there. All the while remembering that you are your business. So any investment into yourself is an investment into your business, which again is something I think a lot of people lose track of because the number of people that I interact with on a daily basis that say, oh man, you know, I've had to put my competition and my, my own personal endeavors on the back burner because of my business immediately. I'm like, you're doing it wrong immediately. Because if you cannot be the example to which your clients should aspire to be in terms of the attitude, the, the demeanor, the routine, 
the results to some aspect in the, especially in the beginning of your career, the results that you have speak very, very loudly to your clients, then you have no leg to stand on. So you are your business and every investment into yourself is an investment into your business. And I love that you started off saying like, I want more free time and I want to invest in myself. And through that, my business will grow. And I thought the, the last piece there is you invest heavily into things that you really love doing. And it, it's funny because I literally just made a post this morning on Instagram. It was an excerpt from one of my uh, coaching calls with my group mentorship is, was Think of the things that you do on a daily basis that make time pass the fastest. How do you cultivate more time to do those things? And that's really how you've built your life and your business. Yeah, the days uh, definitely pass a little too fast sometimes. <laughs> um, yeah, but I, I definitely don't have that same sense of like, you know, maybe urgency that I did in the beginning, which uh, in terms of like, you know, sitting down and just constantly reorganizing like the schedule and try to, you know, optimize all the hours. And I think there's, you know, there's just like chapters or, or, or there's just sort of phases of life where that gets kind of reset again. Mm -hmm. And I think, you know, in the, you know, the same context of like what I was saying with Stu you know, this, this recent chapter has been just pulling back, you know, on some stuff and just allowing things, you know, to flow a little bit more naturally and just making things easier from the standpoint of like, if you can accomplish the same result, but do it easier and it feels easier that that's okay. Um, when the only feedback you ever get is like, if I work harder, then I get better results. I think we learn to associate the two and sometimes falsely that like, if I don't feel like I'm working hard, that means I'm not in the right place. And um, I think those two can, you know, get really, uh, really tangled and associated together. And it's then it becomes hard to dissociate this idea of like, I'll still have this feeling like, oh, I'm not, you know, not grinding, like, you know, not suffering, like not like feeling how I expect to feel. Therefore that means something's wrong. And, you know, it's just something that I've had to decondition a little bit, you know, and I've definitely asked myself a lot, like when I'm, you know, I'm done with quote unquote work most days at like 1130 or something. And then it's basically just like bodybuilding. Right. And, yeah. You know, some of it takes like a lot of time, just like random shit. It's like getting ready for the gym and then training for a few hours, driving back from the gym. And it's like, man, this is like a six hour process. And like, I definitely don't think it has to be. Um, and make it sound like, you know, it's too long or it's a burden. Like, no, that's like exactly what I want my day to be. But it's just funny even being there now. I'm kind of like, man, like this doesn't feel like it used to feel like this should feel harder. Like I should feel like, you know, it's a little bit, um, like, like, like more stressful and it just hasn't been. Um, and I think that's a, a really good thing. Um, and, and I think it'll come in seasons. Like, I think there'll be another season as, you know, the next business ramps up where it's like, okay, now we're balancing things a little bit. Um, but you you're know, for prep right now, you're in a prep scene too. Yeah. Yeah. Prep will definitely be a thing, but you know, right now I'm just like not traveling, um, you know, not doing 
a lot of like, you know, seminars and stuff out of state or whatever. And just like the weeks are, are pretty similar and it's all good. Like there's really nothing that like needs to change. There's nothing that like needs to be any more difficult than it is. And that's like a, it's kind of a, a funny feeling where it's just like, oh, it's not supposed to be like this. There's supposed to be some sort of like angst, you know, and, and, and it comes up here and there. But for the most part, this season is one of just kind of like, all right, let's just keep it in a good place. You know, let's just keep things, you know, steady. Um, I don't know how comfortable you are speaking about this. We kind of glanced over it. You said that you're married. Yeah. I mean, it's pretty common nowadays to, oh, you know, it's so hard being married to a bodybuilder. And all I'm thinking about is like, this guy is so good at organizing his life. He seems to have very low stress. Your, your wife must love it. <laughs> she's, she's, uh, somewhere behind me. <laughs> <laughs> uh no it's like i mean i think again i'm sort of describing where things have migrated towards like as a direction right but only like as a perspective from i mean i won't have her like hop on the camera here and tell you like what our first prep together was like but you know it was right before we got married and you know things have you know, things have changed like uh, pretty dramatically in terms of just, you know, my ability to sort of like do the same tasks, but with less effort. There almost wasn't a wedding. Oh, no. <laughs> that's not true. You'd have been happy leaving that part out, eh? Yeah. I mean, that's, that, that's a little bit of an exaggeration. <laughs> um. Uh, but yeah, I was literally like prepping in 2018 that, you know, and we had the wedding, I don't know, like a month or two, uh, you know, after that. Um, but no, I mean, she's seen like the highest highs and the lowest lows. We've been together for, uh, you know, 10 plus years uh, at this point. Um, so and now we actually started training together uh, recently. Oh, okay. Yeah um you know she's not like a, a bodybuilder or even a fitness enthusiast by a long stretch um but just as i've gotten you know slightly better at sort of managing my level of like uh excitation we'll say intensity you know um uh something you know i, I still work on and it's still something that like to a degree needs to be there you know when you actually get underneath you know heavy weights but just being able to sort of flip that switch back and forth, uh, you know, when you're at home, you know, playing with the dog versus like, you know, in the gym, you know, under the bar. Um, I would say like bodybuilding at first was something that she almost like, like tolerated in mm -hmm. a sense, you know, it was like, okay, this is in a lot of ways what makes you who you are. And a lot of, you know, those traits I really love about you and I'll take, you know, sort of the, the, again, the, the double-edged sword, kind of the good with the bad that comes with that. And the really cool thing over the years is more and more it's become like a team effort as opposed to this is something that I tolerate. Like this is something, you know, that I want to be a part of something that like, you know, I may never, that she may never do, you know, directly herself, but that actually like adds you know, to our relationship, you know, versus takes away from it. And, you know, and, and by no stretch, when I say, you know, things have gotten better with that and we've learned things along the way and now we're training together and she helps with meal prep and all this stuff. It's not like, 
you know, every day is, you know, sunshine and, and rainbows all the time, but the progression has been really cool. Cause I think for the most part, like people don't tend to change, you know, when we're adults and uh, seeing how we've both been able to kind of adapt over the years and, and take a little bit from each other. Like, you know, her profession has always been like working with kids and working, you know, in a not-for-profit setting, working, you know, uh, anywhere from like kids who have uh, you know, like learning disabilities to kids who have terminal illnesses. So it's always been a career that was just heavily involved, uh, like heavily just empathy driven, heavily, heavily like, you know, giving back um, and, you know, just being able to, you know, pull from that. And she's kind of pulling from some of like that, you know, type A personality. And I, I really have seen the two of us just like, uh, you know, shift a little bit, like over the, the years and the coming together of those two things, like is certainly something that's possible. And, and it's really cool now on this journey, like getting ready for the New York pro that it's something we're doing together. And mm -hmm. that you know, when you, you do get to the end of all of it, you know, win, lose or draw, having those people there, uh, you know, to celebrate with that we're there for the journey. That's, that's everything. Plus, if she's training with you and you leave reps in the tank, she's going to think you're a pussy. So <laughs> <laughs> I don't even think she knows what reps in the tank are. That's, you know, that's, that's how far away she is from this world. That didn't look hard enough. Keep going. <laughs> um, all right. So I usually like to finish this off. I want to be conscious of your time, too, because it is uh, Sunday and I'm sure you want to spend it with your family. So. I have a couple quick hit questions. First one being, when you crack an egg, do you crack it on the corner of the pan or on a flat surface? Um, if I was going to, be the corner for sure. But uh, these days, it's uh, you know, it's meal delivery. We're going mega fit. Oh wow! Okay. No eggs, no eggs are being cracked, but it would be yeah, it would be the corner of the pan historically. What is the scariest set you've ever done? Hmm. Scariest, like. Uh, like threat, like life threatening. Yes. So Whatever first... you attribute to the scariest. Okay. I, yeah. I'm just going to go total left field here. Uh, when we were in college with that team, again, we used to just like travel to different gyms, you know, around mm -hmm. the state, around the country. And uh, this is just like the stupidest thing ever. But uh, we, we did lunges and like there happened to be like a road uh you know in between like where we were going and like the hill we were going to lunge up and we just lunged like you know across the street you know while there were like cars still coming and stuff with weights and then you know up the next hill and, or like you know with the same team with a few guys one day we just set out to do a thousand pull-ups just see how many hours it would take to like collectively between the three of us do a thousand that's not scary at all but it's 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 goofy like it's silly shit those are good stories I, when I was at uh, Athletes Performance, I, I not only used to go on the weekends to um, Gold's Venice, yep. but I would go to Metroflex uh, yep. in Long Beach. Yep. And that I think that's actually where, like, um, uh, what's it, like, C.T. Fletcher and, like, yeah. those type of guys were training. So I would just, you know, I show up just, like, in the morning before the gym opened, and I would just sit there. And just whoever came in that was like, you know, big and strong, I'd be like, oh, what are you training today? He was like, oh, I'm training chest the next day. I'm training back. And I would just train, you know, would just 
multiple people like just sit up front and just like ask people what they're training like oh i'm training that you know too today so uh, i think the guy's name is like rashid he became like a pretty famous like you know instagram lifter dude along with the whole like season Fletcher thing um he was one of those guys you know again i had no idea who he was at the time but he was one of those guys that was just like oh what are you training today and i remember we went outside and just like uh, we did a, a mile long prowler race just like uh, on the street. Oh, uh, that's gross. None of that really like makes me think back in, in, in terms of like, oh, those things were so miserable, but they're just like funny examples to me of shit that like I can immediately remember, which is just like, oh, there's no reason for that. Like, it's not a good idea. No. It's just, it's just funny shit. I've done like, I, I think back to like some stupid shit. I did a one mile yoke walk once. <laughs> why I was, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I was trashed for like a week exactly um five people dead or alive at dinner who you bring i've heard this one you know this is a question i've heard on a podcast and, and i've been like oh i've stolen all of these yeah yeah <laughs> no but this is what i've like explicitly started to think about and just be like ah, oh, no never mind i don't, I don't know uh dad okay man um let me get a next uh, do you have another question after this one yeah so if you had one if you wanted to see one person on my podcast who would it be you gotta help me get them on Ooh. i mean i could probably help you get Stu on i got uh, Stu's phone number man you gotta do better than that yeah that's right you did already tell me that yeah hmm You know, I almost want to say that guy, Seth, that I talked about earlier, just because it's like so, you know, off topic from like, oh, yeah, stuff. Um, that could be an interesting person for sure. That's like the first person that comes to mind because we were just, yeah, just, dude, I would love to chat with him. Um, because there might be some things there again, like you have some clients that probably deal with sleep apnea, that, yeah, me. Know, yeah, we talked about like, you know, these sort of psychological and emotional uh, components of all this, you know, that comes into it a lot. Um, you know, I think on like the five person thing, man, it's just like, there really isn't a lot of people that have just like, I really like, you know, idolize this person. And I just like, you know, uh, you know, I have to meet them. I have to talk about them. I, I think if I was like, when I've heard really intelligent people answer this question and they're, you know, I've heard like Jesus as an answer, or I've heard like, there's usually some like physicist that they like, I wouldn't know what to say, like, yeah, to either, you know, to either one of those people. And yeah. it's just like, man, if there's someone that I wanted to meet, like, I feel like I would just meet them. You just you call know? them. I feel like I would figure it out, you know, like, I mean, you could say, oh yeah, it would be cool to like meet Arnold or whatever. Like, I guess, if, you know, if we had something to talk about, like, it might be cool to, like, just, you know, say I met, but I don't, like, have anything at the tip of my mind. Like, there, you know, when I have questions for people, like, I, I keep a tab in my iPhone notes, mm-hmm. and I'll have, like, a Ben Giannis tab. Like, some shit will come into my mind. and be like, oh, I want to ask Ben this, or I want to ask Seth this, or, you know, so I might have, like, a dozen people that, you know, I regularly talk to, and I'll just pop down questions for them. 
like for the most part, I just want to answer those type of questions, you know, where it's like, I don't really know what I would ask Arnold, like if I had the the chance to talk to him. So uh, whenever I think about questions like that, and, and some people give really, really interesting answers. Like I had uh, Andrew Locke was on the podcast with me last week. It's going to launch this coming week, but he, he mentioned he, he had like a philosopher and then he had like Lemmy the famous the famous guitarist okay i was like that doesn't go together at all but cool <laughs> yeah um, it can really like tell you about the person's personality like i don't have that many you know hobbies like outside of uh you know this whole thing mm-hmm. uh, you know a lot of stuff kind of peripheral to it but mostly it's just like you know spending time with you know my wife and the dog we'll you know we'll go out for a hike uh after this actually with with one of my clients um but yeah, there's just not like, I'll, I'll read a good amount of stuff. Like right now, you know, I'm reading a book called The Design of Everyday Things, okay. uh, you know, helping me a little bit with like conceptualizing uh, this design for this app, you know, that I'm working on. And it's like, so I've read some stuff like that in the past, you know, you read things, um, you know, that are pretty far away again from the whole like exercise science topic, but you know, I, I have friends that are just like, you know, Mensa level, just super genius, smart. And it's like, I stand on the shoulders of, of those people. I, you know, you know what I would do actually is I would just take some of the smart people I know and I would just have them sit down in the room with someone else. Like, I feel like they would get better content, you know? So <laughs> I think the way I would arrange it is like, I have a coach named uh, Broderick Chavez. Yep. He's like the drug guy. Um, I think Broderick would be a great guy to have in the room um, because he's super freaking smart. He's just kind of like, you know, uh, you know, Lyle McDonald. Yep. He's friends with Lyle and it's, and it's just like, you know, they, they tolerate each other. They're both like, you know, highly intelligent people, but also just hate everybody. Uh, And I, I get along with those people pretty well. I don't know like what that says about me, but Broderick and I get along pretty well. So I think I'd almost just rather pick one of those people like in my circle and just be like, all right, just record this, you know, and let me let you ask the right questions. Cause I, I don't even think I'm the right person to like interview those guys. So again, that might like, you know, tell a little bit about my like, you know, insecurities or whatever. But at the end of the day, I think there's like a better person probably to interview, uh, you know, Aristotle than me. Dude, I really enjoyed this chat. Thank you so much for taking time out of your day for this. Um, you know, the ongoing joke, as you said, if you want to find you, you'll figure out a way because you don't want to be found. Um, but I do have your Instagram tagged in the show notes and uh, you'll be doing some work with Modern Meathead as well. So I've tagged that as well. So if you guys want to get a hold of Ethan, modernmeathead.com or find him on Instagram, egrossman underscore IFBB pro and message someone that isn't him to get in touch with him (laughs) and you go from there ethan thank you so much man thanks paul this was great thanks guys please like share subscribe and click the bell for notifications and we'll catch you on the next one